Everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Carolyn Talks. I'm your host, Carolyn Hines from Critic and Journalist, and this is the podcast YouTube channel where I speak to creatives about their work, the industry, and what inspires them. And today I am joined by novelist, writer Sarah Collins uh, to talk about her book, The Confessions of Franny Langton, which has been adapted into a miniseries starring Carla Simone Spence and Sophie Hookson. And we and in a previous in- interview, I spoke to Sarah and to Carla Simone about the film, about the, I keep saying film, but it's just so a show, <laughs> about the show and Carla's, um, Simone's perspective on playing Franny. But this time we're going to go a bit more in-depth into the story. And I have so many things to ask Sarah about her inspiration for this story. But before we begin that, as usual, I'd like to have my guests say a bit about themselves and what inspired them in their work as creative. So for you, Sarah, I know you did not start out as a writer. You had you you went to school to be a lawyer. You you, you practiced for I think it was about what, sixteen years, if I remember, if I saw a writer, um, seventeen years, and you had a career change. You decide I'm going to go follow my bliss and be a writer, which I have. I actually have a similar story. Like I did not start as a film critic. I got my my diploma in paralegal studies. So we also oh. have that in common. <laughs> we both ditched the law. <laughs> we both ditched the law. So tell me, what was it about the what? Tell us a bit about your background because you grew up. You, you were born in Jamaica. So talk about. Let's start from there. I was born in Jamaica. Um, my parents are Jamaican. My dad was a barrister. Actually, we left Jamaica when I was four in the middle of the 1970s during the political upheaval mm-hmm. at the time, the um, transition in government. And I grew up in the Cayman Islands, although I came to boarding school in the UK when I was really tiny. I was 11 going on 12, I think, when I started boarding school in the UK. Um, I did qualify as a lawyer. I followed in my dad's footsteps. um, And I spent 17 years as a lawyer, but they were, spoiler alert, uh, 17 really miserable years. I Uh, did not enjoy law. Um, And I think I didn't enjoy it because I had always wanted to be a writer. mm. You know, it's one of my very first memories is an encounter with a book. It was, or a story, I guess, is the little match girl, the, um, the, the story of the little match girl. And I have just always been in love with books more than anything else. Um, I was a voracious, obsessive reader as a child and as a young woman. And I think for a lot of people, that kind of obsessive reading flips a switch. And, you know, if you do it long enough, you want to write yourself. And that's certainly what happened to me. So eventually after I ditched the law and finished raising my kids, I um, enrolled on a creative writing master's degree at Cambridge and the novel Franny was born there, um, finished and published in 2019. And I guess the rest is history because we're here talking about the TV series now. You, I guess you can say it's also the present because I like the, uh, the what's interesting about this story, about the story of Franny Langton is Though it's set in early 18th century um, England and also in scenes of uh, in Jamaica, it's all it's always kind of fascinating to me and also you know like kind of troubling how society like you know we say the more things change the more they stay the same like we still we are still talking about patriarchy you know like women were functioning in a society a patriarchal society we're still talking about racism we're still talking about colorism we're still talking about the effects and the trauma 
of the enslavement of Black people, of our ancestors, and how that still affects us today, you know? Mm -hmm. And the show touches on these kind of things, though it's set back then, we can still relate so much to Franny and the things she says and the things she experiences because so much of our society, so much of how it functions and sees Black people and sees Black women has not changed, right? right? Which is... Sad, tragic, infuriating. (laughs) It is. It is. Because people will be like, "Why why, why do Black people so focus on these things i'm like well i still get racially profiled you know <laughs> i when i had hair on my head i was i still have people trying to put their hands in my hair you know i still have people questioning like what are carros what are braids all of these things i still get people still don't understand that barbados is not in jamaica <laughs> you know <laughs> but you know what i mean like people like the, the knowledge of the caribbean and the knowledge of black history and the knowledge of slavery also doesn't really I think the interesting thing for your show is it again and I know some people might take umbrage with this but like it reminds people that slavery didn't only happen in North America you know slavery didn't only happen in America it happened in the Caribbean you Mm -hmm. know like before it's before they got taken to, to to the Carolinas and to the south in America they 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 landed in in the Caribbean first they landed in Barbados then they got sent to Jamaica and Martinique and all these other countries. So your show like addresses that because it's it centers how like the history of slavery does still impact the Caribbean, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so for so for you like now we're talking about Franny and everything. I have to ask first, where did the idea for this particular story for the story of Franny Langton come from? Um. It came from all of that obsessive reading I just talked about. Um, There was a period of time during my teenage years when I was really obsessed with Gothic romances for some reason. I mean, I absolutely gobbled up all of the Brontes, loved Jane Eyre and Wuthering Heights in particular. Um, That reading was formative. You know, the, the stuff you love as a teenager, I think, kind of enters your DNA in some way. Um, the other stuff that entered my DNA was Toni Morrison, thank goodness. And I mm-hmm. think probably this is, now that I think about it, a fusion of those two influences. But the thing that had troubled me about my uh, reading of those Gothic novels was that this is a whole long tradition in English literature that had overlooked the existence of people like you and me, I guess, you know, people with women of a Caribbean background. Um, And the Caribbean, as you say, was such an essential component in the development of British history, which coincided with the development of the novel in the early 19th century. And there are oblique references to the Caribbean in Jane Eyre, you know, Bertha Mason's roots are Creole. And in Wuthering Heights, there's an implication that Heathcliff is a mixed race character. But very oblique. There was never anything centering a character with a background like mine. And so I realized early on, and it kind of stayed with me, that I'd spent a lot of time in love with this material that that hadn't really put someone like me front and center. That's quite a an alienating, disorienting thing to realize. Um, so when I came to write a novel, I think it was probably only natural that I would use the power. And I do think it's a power. I think it's an incredible power storytelling. I would use the power that that gave me to write that wrong. Um, you know, the 
motivation for it was, as I've said elsewhere, and probably said the last time you interviewed me as well, but it bears repeating. Um, it was very much to put a Jamaican woman in this territory, in Jane Austen territory. And, you know, that feels refreshing. It feels revolutionary. It's something I didn't see growing up and that I would have loved to see. And I'm really proud to have been a part of doing that with the novel and, and now with the TV series. No, I'm so glad because I, like you, grew up reading Charlotte Bronte, Jane Eyre, Jane Austen, you know, all of these, all of these classic, fe- classical female writers of that era. And I think a lot of it also comes to me because I grew up in the Caribbean. Like I tell people in the Caribbean, our reading, like what we are sent to read in primary school and secondary school is not what North American students get to read. You know, we have to read like Eden Blyton, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and these kind of stories in primary school. And then like you just like kind of like transition to reading more. Um, I guess you could say more British literature and like Jane Austen is one of my favorite writers, but like you, like people talk about representation, but when I'm reading these books, like we know that these characters are not, are not black. We know like the world that they're of, the, of these characters is very white, but then especially coming, like you said, like the Caribbean is so instrumental in, in how Britain came to be Britain. Like for, Barbados used to be called Little Britain. You know, like that was historically what we were called because we, we our economy contributed so much to the British economy. You know, Jamaica contributed so much to the British economy. Same thing with Scotland and Ireland. My last name is Hines, which is I, which is Irish, and my dad's last name is Cummins, which is Scottish. Or do I have that? It's one of the two. But <laughs> but like you know, but like we have all of these um connections to Britain and to and to like that part of Europe. But in literature, we don't get acknowledged. Though the wealth of the characters come from slavery, you know, the wealth of the characters come from the sugar and cotton and tobacco and the molasses trade and all of these things. This is how these countries, this is how Britain got built up. This is how these manor houses, these palaces, these, their, their, their industry got built up off of the Caribbean, off of this backs of, of the enslaved black people, but we don't get acknowledged in the in the in the history in the literature particularly on screen you know one of the first time one of the first films and i think it was probably the very first film that i have a very clear distinction of where black where a black woman is centered in the story is the story of dido bell you know like and 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 even then the film act doesn't ignore the history of black people because one of the things that i love about that film because it talks about the painting where dido she's the first black woman to be centered in a painting from that era and that's why when I saw that painting that is um placed on the that um Franny looks at where she sees Laddie that's where I remember I told you in the interview I'm like that's where I got I remembered your reference because there's so many paintings like that where you have the black children the black footmen the black maids they're adding on just as like they're they're not people they're just objects to prop up the white um, white people in these paintings so I love that your story and the inspiration for Franny comes from that. And I can relate so much to that because I, as I told you, like, I love that we are both from the Caribbean and that we can relate to these stories and I can see that connection. So now in talking also about the inspiration for Franny and, it, and, your, and the history that you wanted to bring up and to center a Black character, now I have to ask you about making her queer, about making her <laughs> lesbian and having, having her a same-sex relationship because I think that's honestly, truly groundbreaking in a way, not only because you're centering a black queer, a, a black woman having a love story, but also having a queer love story. And for the Caribbean, that's still something that isn't really spoken about in yeah, the Caribbean, you know, like it's there, we know, like there are 
gay people and everywhere, queer people everywhere, but to have a black, a black woman who was a slave, who is in the position that she's in, and she's been given to this white family, she's having a love affair with Madame, with Marguerite, played by Sophie Cooks. And tell me about doing that, about instead of making her ha- having the typical love story with like the, the man. I used to do a lot of um, human rights advocacy in my former job as a lawyer. And one of the areas that I did quite a bit of work in was um, in the Caribbean um, was um, to do with gay rights. And you're entirely correct to identify that we still have a long way to go in the region. Um, You know, there is this kind of entrenched homophobia and, one of the reasons I think for um, Franny being a queer black character is that I was very determined that if um, my beloved island people were going to support this project, that they would also have to engage with that aspect of her identity. I think stories, even more than legislation and soapboxing, can kind of nudge people's um opinions along, you know, I've been really gratified by the number of people from Grand Cayman where I grew up who have read the novel, you know, people who are very conservative and often quite elderly who've read the novel and perhaps had their eyes opened, you know, seeing the story of someone like Franny from the inside, the power of that's not to be underestimated. Um, But also it just was natural. I've answered this question before and I have said, and it's true, that it wasn't a conscious decision in the sense that, you know, although I wanted people to in the Caribbean to come to terms with this aspect of her identity, it also was an incredibly natural aspect of the character. And that's because um, it was who she was. It was how she came. She came with this identity. And it made sense in the context of her experience, in particular what had happened to her in Jamaica, in the context of this house. As I've said before, the fact that almost all of the men in this story are completely despicable characters and that Madame is a woman very much like her with the same sensibility, with the same passions, with the same desires. It made sense that the love story would be a love story between the two of them. Also, this, for me anyway, is very much a meditation on women's anger. Um, Mm. It's a very feminist story. It's supposed to center women. And you're not really going to do that if you're distracted by a kind of heterosexual love affair, you know, men, men getting in the way. Um, So that's where the power, that's where the electricity in the story came from for me. It was just really important to follow the character where she wanted to go in this respect. Great. I sorry, excuse me. My dog is here looking at me. Charlene. <laughs> <laughs> well, your dog should then make a cameo, I think. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Are you keeping this bit in? <laughs> I might. Like, normally I'll cut it out, but it's so funny. <laughs> Shut the door. Oh my gosh, she's something else. She always does this. She like she'll leave me alone completely, but as soon as I start interview, she'll like she hears you talking. She wants to get in on whatever you're doing. <laughs> she just wants attention. She don't care about me. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, but in going from that, the other thing I I think I just said she it, Franny being queer, being lesbian felt natural. Like when I first watched the first episodes, I had the same thought. I'm like, this feels natural. This feels like 
who not only who she is in, with regards to gender sexual identity, but considering her past, you know, as you said, all of the men except for Laddie are extremely despicable human beings. And with the past that she has coming from this um, ironically named plantation home called Paradise in Jamaica, she see she she either saw men as victims being um, you know, the other black men who are enslaved, like, and she can't commute, she can't be around them because she's been barred from being around them. I noticed that, that she, she gets separated from the other black people, you know, she, while she's taken from her mother, she doesn't have any other black people around her, including men. And then the only male that she's around constantly is this white man who is experimenting and torturing and mutilating black people. So she doesn't have any positive references for black men or for or for men period any positive references for them you know she doesn't have any positive relationships and then the next man that she does that we're introduced to as the audience is another man who is also an extremely despicable man who then turns out to be madame's husband and he's a despicable despicable human being as well so in all of this, I when I when I saw the the first episode and then as the story went went on, like I can see why this is a natural for her, and you know this is who this character is. And then it also, as you were saying, like you're taught it's a it's a feminist story. In that I think, with regards to me, when you're talking about feminism, you have to talk about the good and the bad. And to me, Madame is a is like a amalgamation of both. You know mm-hmm. where you can show there's women, where women are a women of other races who can befriend black women they can be friends with black women they we have similarities like they both get, get each other's attention because they're they're um in love with literature you know they're both avid readers they both love poetry they love the classics and all of that and they and they're and they also have a natural chemistry you know a natural um pull to each other but then in in that pull comes the the power imbalances this is still a white woman you know, this is still a wealthy white woman. This is still a wealthy white woman who is married to the man that Franny has been given away to. So, and then in the interactions they have, you can see that Madame Marguerite doesn't have a full understanding of Franny's situation, you know, and it can, that's how you can say, you, you can have feminism, you can have a woman who's feminist, but is not actually truly embracing the word of feminist, you know, because she's still self-centered. She's still extremely selfish. She still has a very... Um, myopic way of seeing the world because you see things from her perspective so talk about that aspect of feminism in the story and in the relationship between Franny and Marguerite I mean isn't that a challenge you know it's a kind of eternal challenge for feminism isn't it um it's a challenge for humanity in fact trying to see the world from someone else's perspective um Another thing to mention about Madame is she's an addict. You know, she's mm-hmm. addicted to laudanum, which breeds its its own particular kind of selfishness. She's a very vulnerable, damaged woman. Um, internally, I think she believes she's doing the right thing, but often she hurts people through sheer inadvertence or selfishness. Um, there's something, I think, to be said there about intersectionality in feminism, Um about the possibility or impossibility of making room for other people's experiences. And I know, I mean, I've experienced it myself. I experience it to this day that the most well-meaning of people, um, of women, white women, uh, may not necessarily be able to grasp the complexities of the challenges that black women have to face. You know, we're a woman, but our experience of womanhood is 
separated by that one random defining characteristic and out of that um, springs a number of complications. You know, I think about the, well, I was going to say the Sojourner Truth um, speech, but apparently that was translated by someone who may have butchered her language. But, you know, this idea that she asked the question, which I like to think she asked in her own way, uh, am I not a woman? Because mm-hmm. um, where our experiences of womanhood intersect, I think it's up to Black women to take the lead in ensuring that our stories are told properly um, and respected. Uh, that's one of the challenges for Franny and Madame. I don't want to spoil anything, but, you know, obviously we know the story ends tragically. So we know there are some challenges they haven't been able to surmount. It is one of the complications of their love affair. But I also like to think that they were trying to love each other. You know, this is just my take on on it as the sort of person who created them, that they were trying to love each other in a world that had inflicted different kinds of damage on each of them that just might at times have made that really difficult or impossible. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And and I think not only the world inflicted damage on them, I think one of the things that really interests me about them is that they both see each other as being oppressed, you know, but they also, I think they, they, they skirt around the issue of what their differences in oppression is. You know, like they're like they they're both oppressed, but <laughs> the oppression is like completely different. You know, like Madame still is able to walk out through that door when she's ready. You know, she still has a pathway to um to claiming a life that she wants, whereas Franny is still bound by the fact that she's a black woman. You know, like that's it's still interesting you say that because the one who actually does end up walking out through the door is Franny, not Madame. You know, she's she's the one who has a kind of opportunity to make a way for herself. And she she I'm not going to spoil it, but she, you know, she does see there are avenues that are open to women like her. Mm. Uh, um maybe avenues that Madame thinks are not open to women like her. Um, so I, I just thought these two characters gave me so much room to think about how even within the experience of womanhood, there are all of these degrees of difficulty, you know, degrees of um, of hardship and oppression. I hate that word oppression, but I mean, I suppose it's a reality. I also hate the word marginalization. But, you know, Madame's a person who compared to Franny is at the center and doesn't see herself that way. And I was really interested in that as a writer. I was really, I think when you are creating characters, you cannot judge the characters from your own point of view. You have to inhabit them from the inside. And so when I think about Madame, I understand how she feels trapped. But then I also understand how from the perspective of Franny and other people around her, she's simply spoiled. But isn't that the reality of many women like her? You know, it, it was really interesting to grapple with that. Yeah, I do see the I do see Madame as being trapped. Like I the, the term I use for her is like a bird in a gilded cage, you know? Yeah. And, very gilded. and she's and she is a very sympathetic character, but like in in seeing her in being able to see her as a sympathetic character, I can also see how she is in a sense spoiled and mm. um isn't good for Franny. Like for like yeah. she's the one who gets Franny addicted to laudanum too and I saw that I saw that as a way for her maybe unconsciously trying to get Franny to see the world from she does because laudanum is kind of like create is laudanum is a from from what I've read is something that alters people's perception of reality you know and so if if Franny is addicted to her the same as she does she'll see the world the way that Madame does and it also gives them another connection that 
that madame doesn't have with anyone else because even in the house like she's not seen as being a legitimate wife you know like she's still looked down upon by the maids and all of that and i think a lot of have to do with her being french but that's a going into a whole different discussion between the right. politics of the french and the brits at that point in time <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, she, but it's important to to i think to kind of make reference to that because she was an outsider i mean mm-hmm. one of the themes of this is immigration talk yeah. about contemporary problems you know um immigration is a is an eternal thorn in our side and um back then in britain the french were you know really looked down upon that you know there was this whole sort of influx of refugees which is yes. essentially what they were from the french revolution and um it, it's it's pretty interesting to point that out because in a way they each have this experience of being an outsider mm-hmm. in the society and of being looked down upon because they're immigrants right. yet we come back to the fundamental difference between them which was race mm-hmm. which just sort of annihilates all the differences and kind of superimposes itself on everything as yeah. this kind of overwhelming force yeah, I, I we're I, we're obvious. I want to obviously talk about Bridgerton because I have very particular thoughts about Bridgerton. But I want to go back a bit because you just said that you don't you don't like you didn't like the words oppression and marginalization. May I ask why? Uh I, well, uh, my take on it, and it's only mine, is that I reject any word that suggests how someone else sees me. So mm. I do not feel marginalized, and I think I think it was Toni Morrison who said. Something I will paraphrase her badly, but she said something to the effect that she's the center of her own universe, which is how I feel. I am not a marginalized person from my own perspective. And so when I inhabit my own perspective, my own sense of self rejects that description. Obviously, in society, I am marginalized, but it's a very weakening word. You know, it's a word that takes away your power. And so there's something in me that recoils against it. Um, if that makes sense. Perhaps the reality is that there are ways in which I am marginalized, but I am not a marginalized person. That's the only way I can put it. No, so I understand. Words, or when I have to use those words, there is this strange subconscious almost mm. barrier to using them. You know, when, when they fit, I use them, but I never enjoy doing so. I, and I'm a writer. I have this relationship with words where, you know, they have to... They have to be deployed exactly how they're meant for me. And, and um, I, I think that's why I react to those in this way. No, I, I relate to you completely. Like for me, um, like we're talking about immigration a bit. Like for me, I'm an immigrant. I'm, I'm from Barbados. I moved to Canada. And when I first moved here, I didn't see myself as an immigrant. I didn't really understand like the depth of that word, you know. But now that I'm older, I've been living here this year, be 15 years. I, I embrace the word the word immigrant for me personally because it reminds to me I just it to me it centers the fact that I'm Barbadian you know mm-hmm. that Barbados is my homeland that's where I'm from that's where my people are from that's where my yes. family's from yes. my navel string is buried there you know as we say yes. like the ocean like like I like I have this picture of Browns Beaches is my favorite place on earth like when I go home to Barbados one of the first things I do is go straight to the beach and that's I just chill out at the beach for hours. So important. I couldn't agree with you more because we come from such a diasporic region. You know, mm-hmm. there is so much immigration that people can read into the immigration a sense that we devalue our homelands. And it's the opposite, you know, that yeah. it's really important that we love, that we take pride in where we come from, that we show that pride, mm-hmm. you know, that we remember the places, that we honor them. I feel the same way about Jamaica, which, you know, I left when I was four. Um, so I'm even further away from it than you are from Barbados. But 
it's part of me. My parents really instilled um, this kind of sense of pride in the place. It's important that we demonstrate it. It's why I write about Jamaica as well. Yeah, no, I, yeah, and that's it completely. And it's not only for me about being proud of Barbados and being proud of being from the Caribbean. For me, it's also because Canada is a settler colonial, um, colonial state, you know, like this is the home of the native people. This is the home of the First Nations people. And I acknowledge that. And I always remind people, Anyone who is not Native um, First Nations is an immigrant. I have to <laughs> who have been here for four or five generations. You are, if you are white, this is Amen. not your land. So yeah. I, that's, that's, and that's another way for me to, that's one of the reasons I claim the word. And also with regards to like oppression and marginalization, I also relate to that as well, because you know how they used to say like the Caribbean and South America, Latin America is like a third world country. I'm like, I don't use that. I don't use phrases like that. I don't say like I'm from a third world country. I don't believe in like, leveling or like giving like countries say first or second world or third I'm like no I don't believe in like classes systems and like you know classifying places and people that way so I completely relate to you with and I understand what you're saying about using the words oppression and marginalization and a perfect segue to my last and final question like I mentioned Bridgerton so one of the other things that drew me to your to the show and one of the things I really love about it is that it is still a gothic romance. It is still an ill-fated tragic romance because gothic, you know, tragic ending, all of this. Yes. But, and it's a period drama and it's talking about romances between black and white, between the classes and between discussing social status. And there's, of course, shows like Bridgerton. And one of the things I do, and I've written about this, so this is not a revelation for anyone who's watching this. <laughs> I do have issues with Bridgerton and how it romanticizes um how black people would have been treated then you know and like for me the thing with the show is like slavery because they reference slavery they say oh you know the slave trade, all this i'm like are we not going to discuss how these houses are built off of the backs of slaves you know are we not going to discuss how black people would have been treated back then like even if you want to say this is you're you're idealizing relationships between black and white people you can't say that this is a fictional world when you're referencing slavery you know, for me, is like it doesn't make sense, and that's something I can't brush across. And it's and it's and so your your show, the show and the book, to me is very important because it's it's telling a lot of it's educating a lot of people about what the world was then. Because before Bridgerton, we didn't really have we didn't have anything that put black people in places in England. And yes, there were wealthy black right. people then. You yeah. know, there were wealthy black people that that had like white as well as black and southeast asian people working for them and there were like people from korea and china and japan were living in england at that time and media and english media white white main media doesn't acknowledge that so you have british and inserting people of color in a world that they did exist in but not realistically and that for me is like a contradiction you know because i'm like if you're going to talk about slavery you got to talk about the effects of slavery you got to talk about how these people came to be you know like and you got to talk about colonialism and how and the English monarchy and how they displace so many people in these other countries. So for you, I wanted to ask you your opinion on 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 like on like a show about like Bridgerton, you know, because it has such a massive impact on media. Yeah. Yeah. And on, yeah. And I think for me, it's just like it's also to me a very negative impact because a lot of people aren't being genuine about the discussion like they're talking about you know like a romance between black and white i'm like even if you're gonna say there's no racism you still gotta talk about the sexism you know you still gotta talk about this is a patriarchal society 
You know, you still got to talk about how there's separation of classes because you have these people doing arranged marriages and all of that. But I'm like, you can't have one without the other. It's just me. Bridgerton. I mean, so Bridgerton, it's funny because that show actually came out long after I'd written the novel. In fact, it came out after I'd written all of these screenplays. So, you know, I was thinking, oh, shocks, you know, um, this has really changed the landscape. Actually, it has changed the landscape for the better. I mean, there is a, there is a place for shows like that. It's so significant, absolutely hugely significant that someone with the power of Chandra Rhimes has managed to sell the world on the idea of colorblind casting in a period drama. I mean, you know, refreshing, revolutionary, all the rest of it. I read the novels um, long before writing my own and really enjoyed them, but they were novels that were written very much from a white point of view. There was no colorblindness about the novels themselves. So this is, this is an element that has crept into the adaptation. Um, and the way I look at it is that I love the Bridgerton effect. I love it because it has opened doors because it's given so many opportunities to creatives of color and actors of color. I mean, it's allowed a it's allowed us to indulge in a little bit of sort of wishful thinking about that period. But I bear in mind that Bridgerton is a fantasy, and I think it's important that people enjoy it, but don't believe it, if that makes sense, that it is wishful thinking and it's really lovely to see. I think it's, um, you know, just on the level of spectacle, it's beautifully produced. It's really lush. It's, you know, some great performances, very sort of addictive if you love Regency romance. But, and I've said this before, the but is that there are so many people that do not know the truth about the history of Britain, that I do fear, I worry a little bit that the Bridgerton effect means they'll be lulled into a kind of fa false belief about how easy it was, you know, but here are Black people in Regency England who are dukes and duchesses and who are with absolutely no trouble at all entering into interracial marriages and having interracial children. And it, it wasn't like that. And I think um, it, if you if you're aware of the history of enslavement and what that experience was like and how much the foundations of modern Britain are built on that experience, then it's a slight disservice not to bear witness to the truth of that. I do feel very conscious that my ancestors would have been part of that really crippling system and that in a way it is... Um, honoring their memory by telling the truth when we have storytelling power, telling the truth about what they went through. And so the way I look at it is that there is room for both. There's a place for Bridgerton if we accept that Bridgerton is fantasy and beautifully produced and a wonderful show. And you can like it if you know what it is that you're liking. But there's also a desperate need for some truth telling in storytelling for us to finally acknowledge and come to terms with and commemorate this really difficult history to which we all owe so much. And so the idea behind our show was to combine those two objectives, you know, that I think, I mean, there is such an appetite for period drama now. There's room for all kinds of shows doing all kinds of things. And our show is trying to take the best of Bridgerton, if you like, but also the best of our ability to tell truthful stories and kind of merge those two things together. 
Perfect. Thank you so much <laughs> for talking with me, Sarah. I wish we had more time, but you have to go. And I can't. I do. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I hope we get an opportunity to speak again someday. <laughs> Maybe yes. And say hi to your dog for me. <laughs> I will. She's outside with my sister now. She's been relegated to the living room, but I will. <laughs> Thank you, Caroline. Thank you so much, Sarah. Bye. Great. Have a great day and much success. <laughs> thank you thank you so everyone this was another episode of Carolyn talks with her here's what happened podcast i'm your host Carolyn hanks and today i was joined by novelist and writer sarah collis to discuss her book the confessions of franny langton which has been adapted for a screen by bbc you can find the episodes of this mini series available on britbox internationally that includes canada the u.s england and in northern regions as well Thank you so much to Sarah for joining me to talk about her work and what inspired her to create this story. I find it fascinating to have a story about Franny and one as a character who's as complex as she is. It was great to talk to Sarah about being inspired by her Caribbean upbringing and the Caribbean heritage and also the fact that sometimes, you know, we start out doing, we start out in life doing one thing and we end up doing something else completely different that brings us very unexpected results, which for Sarah was beginning as a lawyer and now she's a novelist writing uh, stories like this. And I encourage everyone to watch this show. I think it's great for bringing in discussions on patriarchy, the history of racism and slavery in the Caribbean and as well as in England intersectionality between women and men as well as feminism and colorism and racism as well as mental health and there's so many things to talk about i wish we had more time but we didn't but i appreciate the time that she gave to speak to me today you can find the video version of this episode on my youtube channel that is youtube.com at carolyn underscore Hines. we can find other interviews that I've done throughout the last couple of years, including one that I previously did with Sarah and leading actress Carla Simone Spence, who plays Franny in the show. You can also go to my R3 page, that's A-U-T-H-O-R-Y.com, Carolyn Hines, H-I-N-D-S, and find links to all of my videos, my YouTube channels, as well as my published writing, that's reviews, film analysis, interviews, profiles, and the like. Follow me on social media at Carolyn one more thing, <laughs> at Carrie CNH Stop, that's C-R-I-E-C-N-H-1-2, that's on Twitter, Instagram, and on TikTok. And um, until the next episode of Carolyn Talks, everyone, stay safe. Bye. <laughs>